Well, uh, Happy New Year, everyone. Great to see you all on this first Sunday of the new decade. Uh, that's right. If you are new to our congregation, want to welcome you. My name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life. If you need a Bible, raise your hand if you have one. Go with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. And before we get into our message today, I wanted to make a couple of uh, quick announcements. This Wednesday and Thursday, for the past uh, six, seven years or so, we've started the year with a couple of nights of prayer to uh, intercede for the many uh, needs and issues among our church family, in our city, our country, the world. And when you look at what's happening in the world, the world desperately needs the church to pray. Uh, when you look at what's happening in Iran, what's happening with fires in Australia, what's happening globally, nationally, down the block, whatever, uh, the world desperately needs the people of God to be praying that the kingdom of God will come on earth as it is in heaven. And we want to pray for the various needs of our church, and we want to pray for each other, that God would encourage us on the journey as 2020 begins. And so on Wednesday night and Thursday night from 7 to 8.30, we'll be in prayer in the lower level hall. So I'd love to see you guys, and let's just call upon the name of the Lord together. That would be wonderful. Secondly, I want to uh, make an announcement that we have, before the, uh, the last year, we talked about receiving an offering for our Christmas offering, and I just wanted to show you where we landed, and so, a drum roll, uh, okay, boom, and so here we are, that's where we landed at 531, so our goal was 500,000, and I am incredibly grateful for the amazing generosity of so many of you who have given to our congregation over the years and this past Christmas offering. And I'm excited to see what uh, God will have us do in the coming months and years uh, to further the mission that we're doing at New Life. And so just wonderful, wonderful uh, days ahead of us. Now today we're going to be beginning a series on sacramental living. The word sacrament, uh, don't be afraid of that word. It's just uh, an outward uh, expression, if you will, an outward symbol of an inward grace. That's really what the word sacrament means. And throughout church history, there have been two sacraments that across traditions the church has held to, and it is the sacrament of, of communion, holy communion, and the sacrament of baptism. And so over the next three weeks, I'm going to talk about today on Holy Communion, the Eucharist, uh, and the Lord's Table. And then next week, I'll be preaching on baptism and what it means for us. And so if you've been baptized or haven't been baptized, next week is a very important message for us. And then the third week, I'm going to talk about uh, what it means to live sacramentally in this world, seeing the entire world as charged with the glory of God and what it means to live in that reality. Uh, but today I want to talk about uh, the Lord's table. And it is the Sunday where the church celebrates Epiphany. Epiphany Sunday is where the Magi are, see Christ and Christ is revealed to the Magi. And my hope is that Christ would be revealed to us through his preached word. And then as we come to the table of communion, that Christ will be revealed to us in fresh ways uh, throughout the rest of our gathering as Christ has already been revealing himself to us as we've been singing and such. And so Mark chapter 14, beginning at verse 17, hear the word of the Lord. You can follow on the screen as well. It says, when evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. 
And when they, while they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread in the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Verse 22, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said to them, and they all drank from it. He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is the, my blood of the, of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let's pray together. Jesus. Thank you for your presence in this place. Lord, you've already been speaking to us as we've been singing, as we've been worshiping in that way. Now, now, Lord, I pray you would speak to us through your preached word and as we come to the table. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Some time ago, Rosie and I celebrated one of our wedding anniversaries, and I decided to take her to a nice restaurant. I was initially thinking about taking her to White Castle. Um, I heard their menu was expanded. uh, But upon careful consideration, I decided to take her to a different kind of restaurant, a nicer restaurant. I took her to Peter Luger's Steakhouse. Peter Luger's Steakhouse, that's right. Uh, Peter Luger's Steakhouse. And so we get to Peter Luger's Steakhouse, and um, we get the menu, and... I immediately noticed this place is pricey. And you ever go to a restaurant and then you see the cost of the food and you start doing mental math in your head and you're thinking, if she gets that and I get that, first of all, do I have enough for that? And, and then you start thinking about, well, retirement and college and you're doing a lot of math in your head. And so I'm doing the math and as I'm doing the math, Rosie's looking at the appetizers and she decides to order one of the appetizers and it said it was a, a sliced tomato with the Peter Luger steak sauce. And so she orders that. I said, wow, this should, this should be great. And when it comes out, it is exactly as advertised. It is a sliced tomato with the Peter Luger steak sauce. And this was the most expensive slice of tomato I had ever seen in my life. And consequently, it was the best tasting tomato I've ever had. That's what I said. I convinced myself this is the best tomato I've ever had in my life. And so after we had the tomato and all that there, then the real deal came out, the steak came out, and it was unbelievable, delectable, delicious, all of that there. And after we had the meal, you know there's certain meals that you have them, uh, it doesn't make an impact on your life, you know, you just, you forget and you just move on to the next thing. But then there's meals that when you have them, you take pictures, you post it on Facebook, you text your best friend, you call mom, you let everyone know, this, I just had a meal because it was more than just food, it was a kind of encounter. 
Amen. You've, been, you've had meals like that where the way you left the restaurant is different than the way you came into the restaurant. You had an encounter. And as we think about Christian spirituality, there is a meal that is better than every other meal. It's a meal that's not going to be found on Zagat. It's not Zagat rated. You're not going to find it on Yelp. You're not going to see it on the Food Network. It's not going to have the trimmings and the ingredients and all the other stuff. And yet this meal, when taken and received the right way, has a way of transforming our lives. I'm talking about the meal, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, the Eucharist, Holy Communion. That when we receive Holy Communion, it has a way of nourishing us and transforming us. And we encounter the risen Jesus Christ in the bread and the cup. And so when we think about Holy Communion, God wants to encounter us in it. And yet we have to do some good theology because many of us have some misunderstandings about what it means when we come to the table. For many people, when they come to the table, they come to the table, the Lord's table, and they do it superstitiously. So we take the bread and dip in a cup, they receive it, and they do it in a way as if to say, I have to take communion because this will uh, help me not get into experience problems in the world. This will somehow protect me from the particular challenges of the world, and so we take it superstitiously. Others of us, we take it uh, absent-mindedly. And then we're just taking it and we're just going through the motions of it. And yet we are not to take it superstitiously and we are not to take it absent-mindedly. We are to take it in such a way that we open ourselves up to the very presence of Jesus Christ in our midst. And when we take communion together, it's to... Uh, encounter us. And Jesus wants to encounter us. But not only does Jesus want to encounter us, the table is to form us as well. And so we need those two words. We need an encounter with Jesus Christ through the table. And it is through the table, through the bread and the cup, that Christ wants to form us as a particular people in the world where we, 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 we become what we eat. You've heard the phrase, you are what you eat. We become what we eat as we receive Holy Communion together. And so what does it mean that we come to the table? And what is Christ trying to form in us? This is where I want to hang my thoughts on as we look at this Gospel of Mark story in Mark chapter 14. When we pick up in Mark 14, uh, we see that Jesus is close to the end of his life. And so he decides to gather his disciples to have a Passover meal. And the Passover was a meal that reminded Israel that they were at one time slaves in Egypt, but God had delivered them through the blood of a lamb, that the lamb's blood would be put on the doorposts, and as a result, they would not be, uh, uh, the firstborn would not be killed, you know the story, it would pass over the house, and that would lead to their liberation. Jesus chooses to have a meal with his disciples on this Passover night. But when he has this meal with them, more than just reenacting the Passover meal, he's giving them a new imagination for the meal. Basically saying, back then, the people of God, the people of Israel, were released from their bondage from Egypt. But something new is about to take place. Not just Egypt, Israel being released from slavery of Egypt, from Egypt, now the entire world is going to be released from slavery from sin and death. 
And so Christ offers this cup. He offers this bread. He gathers his disciples together to say something significant is about to happen. And as I preach through this text here and give a a, a biblical theology here of what the table represents, I want you to be keeping this in mind as we prepare to come to the table in just a few minutes. What is happening when we come to the table? What is taking place? What is God doing? I want to list a few things before us. The first thing that God is doing, and when we come to the table, what does it signify? First of all, it signifies this, that the table points to the mysterious presence of Jesus Christ among us. The mysterious presence of Jesus Christ among us. In verse 22, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, take it. This is my body. And those four words are the four words that have caused much debate and division and pain among the church for 2,000 years. Those four words, this is my body. What is Jesus saying when he says those four words, this is my body? Well, on one end, our Catholic brothers and sisters believe a particular thing about those four words. Our Catholic brothers and sisters believe that the very the bread and the, and, the, and the cup become the very body of Christ, the very blood of Christ. They teach something called transubstantiation, that the substance of it, it is transformed. Our Catholic brothers and sisters are on one end of the spectrum. And then they have Protestant brothers and sisters who see the Lord's table as more of a, a memorial, as something that we remember what he did. It's, a, it's, a, it's memorialism. And so on one end, there's this transubstantiation. It becomes the actual and literal body and blood of Christ. On the other end, it stays the same, and we kind of just remember what took place. But throughout church history, there's been a third kind of way of seeing it, where the, the bread remains the bread, and the cup remains the cup, and yet the very real presence of Jesus Christ is among us, where Christ is among us, mysteriously among us. And so when we take communion, we are essentially saying it's not just bread that we're taking, and it's not just a cup that we're taking in. The very presence of Jesus Christ is among us. Therefore, We are to pay attention to his presence. Be attentive to his presence. This is why Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, when he says, and Christ would say, do this in remembrance of me. When Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, he's not just saying, remember what I did. He's also saying, and here's another way of saying it, when you do this, remember me. As if to say, I'm here right now. I'm with you right now. My presence is among you right now. Be mindful of my presence, which means when we come to the table of communion to take bread, the the, the simplest act here and dip it in a cup, we are to do it different than how we often tend to do it. Christians tend to take the bread and dip it in the cup like we're at a Super Bowl party, uh, dipping chips into dip. And so it's kind of like mindless. You're just going through the motions, and, and you're focused on a whole bunch of other things. But Jesus says, when you take the bread, when you receive it, be mindful of my presence. I am here. And yet this is hard for us, isn't it? Because we're so distracted. 
We live with what sociologists call in a partial, in a continuous state of partial attention. A continuous state of partial attention. This is the world that we live in. But Jesus says, I want you to be fully present to my presence here. And as we are present to the presence of Jesus and encounter him at the table, this is to form the way we live in the world where we are present to the presence of Jesus within our neighbor. Present to the presence of Jesus in the world. Present to the presence of Jesus everywhere we go. Which is why when I have meals with people, whether it's lunch, whether it's dinner, whether I'm with my family at the table, I've increasingly tried to establish this discipline where I keep my phone off the table. You know what I'm talking about, yes? Um, I, or, or if I'm having dinner with my family, I keep my phone in the bedroom. Because you know what it's like to have a meal with someone, and you're starting to get all deep and everything like that, and it's like, wow, and then, voo, voo, and then hold on a second, and then, and like Macy's has 50% off, and you know, that's, oh, oh, I needed that notification. You don't need the notification. Or, or, or someone, you got a Facebook notification or what have you, and all of a sudden, any kind of intimacy that you're sharing in that space, any kind of attentiveness that you had is now gone because you're elsewhere. You are somewhere else. And so Jesus says, uh, be mindful of my presence. This is my body. Therefore, pay attention to me. Which is why the table, the Lord's table, is to shape the way we encounter others. Being attentive to each other's presence in the world. And so the table signifies the very real presence of Christ among us. But more than that... Let me add something else to this that prepares us to come to the table. The table also is to shape our unity as the church. The Lord's table is to shape our unity as the church. When we come to the table, there is not an expansive menu here. Okay, there's not a menu for the rich and a menu for the poor. There's no menu for white people and a menu for black people. There's no menu for Republicans and a menu for Democrats. Amen. There's no red cup and a blue cup, okay? There's no menu for new Christians and old Christians. There's no menu for people who've been uh, reading their Bible every day and people who can't find their Bible, okay? Uh, We gather together as the people of God because of one meal. And this signifies our unity, that there are no VIPs in the house of God. We all bring our brokenness. We all bring our pain. We all bring our frailty in need of the mercy and grace of God. And in a world that's increasingly divided along all kinds of nationalistic lines, All kinds of lines of whether you're documented or undocumented, whether you're voting for this person or that person. Our world is increasingly divided. But when we gather as the people of God, we're saying the world might be dominated by that kind of divisiveness. But as the people of God, we're marked by a different kind of unity, a healing presence, a presence, a community of reconciliation. And in a community like ours, where the 75 nations represented, it gets pretty complicated to be part of this church. 
What unites us is not our citizenship status. What unites us is not our country of origin. What unites us is not our political preferences. What unites us is the Lord's table, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And so we encounter Christ and experience you. But this table is now to shape the way we live in the world. Feasting at the table of the Lord, the Lord's table, is to make us into a people who are marked more by reconciliation and healing than by divisiveness. And so when we come to the table, why is it important to come to the table on a regular basis? Because it reminds us of your true calling. Your true calling to be a healing witness in the world. And it is so easy to get caught up in the divisiveness of the current political climate of our day and forget who we're worshiping. Failing to see that what unites us is not an elephant or a donkey, it's the lamb. Amen. It is the lamb. That's what unites us. So this marks our unity as the people of God. We come as broken people. But more than just broken people, when we come to the table, it is to help us name the particular relationships that are in need of healing. The relationships and the people that we need to ask forgiveness from and extend forgiveness to. Which is why when we come to the table, we do so with a heart of reflection and repentance. Lord, what are the relationships that you want to heal? What are the acts of forgiveness that I need to extend? What are the apologies that I need to make? Why? Because when we come to the table, it is to mark our unity as a people. And Jesus gathers these people together, these disciples, to signify their unity. But let me continue. What does it mean when we come to the table? Not just that the presence of Jesus is here. Not just that it signifies our unity. But it's important to note as well that the table is not a reward for the godly, but a gift for the broken. The table is not a reward for the godly, but a gift for the broken. I I, I have an uncle, a relative, who, when I became a Christian 21 years ago, he would mentor me, and, and we'd have a lot of Bible conversations. And one thing I noticed about him was when he was on fire for Christ, I mean, he was on fire for Christ. And when he wasn't, okay, uh, he was lighting fires. I mean, he was just, he, he was, his highs were really high, and his lows were really low. And often he would feel uh, intense uh, burden and guilt whenever Communion Sunday came around in our small church. And he would say things like this. I, I'm in conversation with him, and he'd, say, he'd talk about the drama of his week, and he'd say something along the lines of, that person's lucky that we got Communion Sunday this coming Sunday. And what he meant by that, because I would have really given him a piece of my mind, and what he meant by that was this. His theology had it where... If you mess up that week, you can't come to the table. But if you do good that week, you can come to the table. 
Not seeing that the grace of God doesn't operate like humans do. God's grace and love is perfect, which is to say you can't do anything good that will make God love you more. And you can't do anything bad that will make God love you less. God's love is perfect. Listen, some of you, you got sins on the calendar. Or you schedule your sins, okay? And, 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 and then, you, and then you, you schedule it and you do it and, and whatever it is, amen? Uh, and, and, and then what happens with us is this. We sin and then we're so guilty about it. Oh, I'm so guilty about it. And so what do we do next? We, we do all kinds of penance, all kinds of sacrifices so that we can feel forgiven. And so we say, I, I can't pray right now. No, I can't. I'm not, uh, I'm not holy enough to pray. I, can't. I better not open up my Bible, you know, and, and I better not come until I do enough. And what it is basically is until I do enough so I can feel forgiven. And then when we feel forgiven enough, then we say, now it's time to pray. Or we say, now I can read my Bible. Or we say, now I can come to the table of communion. Failing to see that the table is not a reward for the godly, but a gift for the broken. We don't come in our name. We come in his name. We don't come in our righteousness. We come in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We don't come in our performance, we come in his performance. We don't come in our works, we come in his work. And so it is a gift to receive, not a reward that we can earn. No one can earn this thing. That's why it's called grace. No one can earn it. The, the, the table is a, not a reward for the godly, but a gift for the broken. And this is to shape how we live in the world. Every single week we have moments where we feel like, oh, I, I'm not right enough to pray. I'm not right enough to do this here. And what we're doing every time when we say that, is, and it's not saying that we are not to be repentant and not feel sorrow over our sin and the, and the decisions that we make and the things that we do that hurt others, hurt ourselves. But what, is, what I am saying is that if we are basing our sense of rightness with the, old, the sacrifices that we do that make us feel forgiven, we will be in a vicious, endless cycle in which we are always offering sacrifices to God to be accepted, failing to see that Christ has already made the sacrifice. He's already made us right with God. Fourth, and finally, it's this. The table reminds us of God's free and costly love in Christ. The free and costly love in Jesus Christ. That no matter your flaws or your vices, your past or your present, Jesus invites us to the table and through his self-giving love, free, costly love, wants to be in our company. This is what Rowan Williams, the great theologian, said. He said, it is perhaps the most simple thing we can say about Holy Communion, yet it is still supremely worth saying. In Holy Communion, Jesus Christ tells us that he wants our company. How wonderful. Jesus says, I want your company. Whose company? Everybody's company. 
How do I know? Look at verse 18. In verse 18, it says these words. I put on the screen for me. It says, while they were reclining at the table, eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. Who does Jesus offer this meal to? Everyone who is at the table. Now, Jesus knows who's going to betray him. It's not that he's like wondering, like, who could it be? I'm not sure. He knows exactly who it is that's going to be. It's Judas. He's going to betray him. And yet Jesus invites him to the table. Now, if, it's, if I'm Jesus that night, and as I'm welcoming people into the room, I'm saying, Peter, ah, uh, James, ah, uh, John, ah, uh, Bartholomew, ah, uh, Andrew, huh? Did it all, I mean, all, and then when Judas comes, you can stay right here, brother. You can just stay right here. You can't come in. I know what's going on here. Stay out. And yet Jesus invites him in. It shows so much grace to his enemy. The one who is about to turn him over. Jesus wants to be in our company and offer himself for all of us. And so when he does, he invites them to come to the table. And he begins to take the bread. And when he takes the bread, you could be sure that the way he takes the bread is a picture of how he relates to us. That we are bread in the hands of Jesus Christ. And when he takes the bread, there's actually four movements that I want to show you. And then we'll take and receive communion together. Jesus, he takes the bread. He takes it in his hands. Or as Henry Nouwen says, he, he chooses it. And he chooses every single one of you. To be taken by Jesus is to confess that he chooses us. And in a world in which we often seem overlooked, Jesus says, I choose you. I take you. When no one wants you, I'll take you. When your job forgets about you, I'll receive you. When your husband or wife breaks up with you, I'll choose you. When your kids don't want anything to do with you, I'll take you. Jesus takes every single one of us. He takes us as he takes the bread. But he doesn't just stop there. It says that he blesses it now. And you could be sure as well that Jesus blesses you. To be in his hands is to be one who receives blessing at the hands of Jesus. Jesus speaks words of life and healing and destiny over you. He blesses you. And in a world that's marked by cursing, Jesus blesses you. He speaks words of life over you. And he, so he takes the bread, he blesses it, and then he breaks it. And that's the part of the sermon that we, we, we don't want. So we like, uh, can we just do away with the, the breaking? But then he gives it. You cannot give what you have not broken. And so in the hands of Jesus, our brokenness is not meant to destroy us. It's meant to be a gift where we now can be given to the world. And so when we come to the table, we recognize, yes, I'm broken. And yes, sometimes God is the one who does the breaking in ways that we can't even explain. But not to break us, not to destroy us, but to offer us as a gift to the world. 
When he breaks us, he's breaking us from the illusions that we live, the false self that we have sought to live according to and saying there is a truer self, a deeper self, a deeper life, a communion that I have for you. He takes us, he blesses us, he breaks us, he gives us to the world. And those four movements really speak to the kind of life that Christ wants to have with us. A life that's marked by those four movements. Knowing that when we receive and come to this table, we can encounter this Christ in fresh ways if we see ourselves as bread. Now in a moment, we're going to come to this table. And as we come to the table, um, I want us to come to the table of communion in a more contemplative way today, in a more reflective way today. And so what I want to invite you to do in a moment, uh, the folks who are going to come to uh, the tables, and actually, why don't you come to the table? If you're here and you're going to offer the bread and the cup in the balcony or down below, feel free to come up to the various uh, tables in the room here. And when you come to the table, as we always do, the server will take the bread and offer it to you. And they'll say these words to you, the body of Christ broken for you. And what I want you to do when they say those words is I want you to look them in the eye and receive those words. The blood of Christ shed for you. Not just some generic people out there. You, 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 you. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. And you take bread and you'll dip it in a cup. Now, in some traditions, in many churches, they receive the elements right there. But at New Life, our custom is to go back to our seats with it to help us to be prayerful, to be reflective and contemplative. And then I'll come up and I'll lead us in together. I want to say one more thing as we prepare. And my hope is that this will be something that when we share communion on a monthly basis, that we keep this in mind. It gets crowded in here, and it's very easy to treat the communion line here like we're in Grand Central Station, and we're crowded and all behind each other. And so my hope is that you give the person in front of you a little bit of space so that when they come to the table, they could hear the words, the body of Christ broken for you, and then move on to the next one, the blood of Christ shed for you. And we, and we give the person the space to have that moment. I know what it's like to be a server and the body of Christ, the body of Christ. And it's just a bit overwhelming. And then we're just dipping now chips and dip without being aware and attentive to this moment. And so give the person a second or so to receive it and then come up, dip it in a cup and then go back to your seat. And then I'll come back to lead us. Let me say one final thing. When we come to the Lord's table, it's, it's the Lord's table. And it's a table for folks who recognize Jesus Christ as Lord. Those who have recognized he's Lord of the world, he's Lord over my life. And if you've came, come to New Life today and uh, that doesn't really speak about where you're at in your journey, you've never said yes to Christ, you've never called Jesus Lord of the world, Lord of your life, I'm thrilled and so grateful that you're here. But there's no pressure to come and receive. You can remain right where you're at and the folks who pass by you, it's, it's all good. But if you want to today make a profession of faith and you're saying, yes, I want to come to Christ as your first act of faith, 
you're more than welcome to come to the table to receive the bread and the cup. Amen? Let's all stand together. I want to lead us in a prayer of confession. And when we pray this prayer of confession, we're essentially saying we're all in the same boat. We all need forgiveness. We all need grace and mercy. We all have our hangups. That's why we confess it out loud together. And so as the people of God, let's put this prayer of confession on the screen. And let's pray this and then the ushers will lead us to come forward together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and our neighbor through our own faults, in thought, in word, in deed, in what we have done and what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Please come forward.
Let's take a moment of just silence in the presence of Jesus, offering our own repentance, our own confession of sin. Just take about 30 seconds just to, Lord, cleanse me, free me, heal me, forgive me, and then I'll lead us to receive. Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he blessed it, broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. As the people of God, freely forgiven by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, let's all receive together. Amen. Let's all sing that chorus together. And, uh, and let's sing with everything we have for it reaches to the highest mountains, lowest valley. Let's sing it together. For it reaches to the
Amen. That's good news, isn't it? Never lose his power. Let's have our prayer team come to my left. We end every service with a time of prayer for those who would want to receive it. Because one of the ways that Jesus Christ mysteriously reveals himself to us is in community as we pray for one another. That God offers grace and mercy and healing and encounters with him as we pray for one another. And some of you, you're starting off 2020 and uh, you have obstacles before you. Don't you wish? that when 2019 ended, all the problems of 2019 just like stopped and you, you got a fresh set of problems, you know, just like, it doesn't happen that way. It's whatever's back there doesn't magically disappear. The old stuff is still there. And yet for all the old stuff that we face, his mercies are new every morning. And so he has new mercy for old problems. And so if you want to receive prayer and um, intercession, if you want to come to Christ today, if you feel Jesus calling your name, we would love to pray for you. But as we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. We end every service like this because the world is marked by cursing. And we want to leave the house of God receiving blessing and then being a blessing to the world around us. And so with your hands and your hearts and a posture of receiving brothers and sisters, Sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that you are in the hands of Jesus. And may you be a gift to the world around you, whoever you encounter this week. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the saving name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. amen. Grace and peace to you all.